All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 414, 414. Jason Lingren is with me, and Mr. James True is back. Just so everybody knows, James has been on this show for episode 395, episode 355, episode 230, and episode 207. I'm working with my code monkeys to try to get playlists so that we can group topics and guests together, but I'm trying to figure out what the cost of all that will be. Everyone should know the last episode I did with James was 395. I was in the end game with my mother and we kind of sidetracked all over the place, which is partially what this episode is about. We're going to come back in and we're going to focus an hour one on Notre Dame. And as fate would have it in episode 151, I laid down an episode on cathedrals, specifically Notre Dame. And I said to everyone, they're destroying these things. They're dismantling them. Hold on to everything you've got about these cathedrals. Exactly one month later was the fire that is going to center around what James is offering. And welcome, Jason. And a very fine good afternoon. All right, let's jump in this. Welcome, Mr. James True. Welcome back. Great. Thank, uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, perfect. See you guys. Um, so we kind of have loose notes that Rose put together because she always tracks. Like when I we, we went off the rails so far on the last episode, we didn't get anything. So what we're going to try to do here is talk about Notre Dame, and we're going to talk about the 12 Saints in Hour 2, which is a big deal for people um, because I think very few of us realize uh, the natural connection that's been encoded in these things. And um, we'll go into a few things there. But anyhow, where do you want to pick up? Do you want to just follow the notes for me? Tell me where you want to pick up with respect to Notre Dame. Sure. Uh, I, I guess we should uh, align with the fire there. And uh, you, your episode um, outlined this this change of guard, of, of symbolic guard, and tax day came. Uh, which is then Annalima Crossing. On the date of the Annalima Crossing, uh, the Notre Dame fire uh, took place. Let's do that for a second. Okay. Um, tell people with the Annalima, I'll just tell people, if you take a picture of the sun uh, periodically, like you pick three days a month or you know something like that, and you take a picture at the same time of day, you'll get a figure eight in the sky. You do this over a year. What does the crossover, like it's figure eight where the eight crosses itself, what does that analema represent, James? Just so people have a frame of reference. So, uh, depending on the direction of where you are on that figure eight, it's going to be either good news or bad news. If you go underneath the cross, then you are uh, there's a death and a rebirth and a journey through the underworld. That's the journey of Saint Jerome. And then, if you're going over the cross on the other side, then it's a there's a uh, just a a different motif or a, or a different feeling about the alchemy of that. Right. So the, the solstice at the bottom is, is the return where, where, where you, the son of God, the sun in the sky literally begins its, its ascent uh, back up to that figure eight. And then once it crosses, uh, it crosses itself at the figure eight, the intersection we're talking about, and then it reaches its apex where it stays for three days and then it falls again. This entire cycle uh, is a play between John the Baptist. This is the cutting of the head of John the Baptist and the resurrection of, of, of Christ itself. And so the solstices are marked in the same way. This is the sky clock that, that, that we talk about so much. The 12 saints representing these different points along each, each, uh, each intersection. 
All right. So let me try to just briefly lay this down so people can follow. A long time ago, stories, personages, characters, uh, religious traditions were reflecting a thing called the creation. They recognized that the creation was the creation, which we've lost track of. The analemma is a figure eight in the sky. And I just told you, you take pictures of the sun, same time every day over a period, look it up online. You'll see a figure eight drawn by the sun. At the top part of that figure eight is the height of the power of the sun at the summer solstice. At the bottom of that figure eight is the low point of the sun, which we call Christmas, which is actually the winter solstice. Um, now, in the middle, you would expect that the equinoxes would be at the crossover point, yet they are not. So James, I had never thought about the crossover in the way you just described it. So if I was going to reason it out, I would say you're going under or the idea of death when you're in the winter, because the sun, I don't know if that works is further away. Does that work? Is it always going to be when you're in the fall, you're going under, right? When you're going down to the low point of the sun. Well, uh, so I guess it really would depend on how you want to interpret it. But if you if you track the analema, you're seeing that not only has the sun stopped its climb, its ascent into the sky, but now it's beginning its descent. And so people could look at that. This is you're on the left side of the top of the figure eight for, for, for most of the country when you're looking at it. I mean, for most of the world when you're looking at it. And so as you come to that intersection, uh, you, you would then be going underneath uh, uh, the, the cross of, of those two things, much like an intersection in a highway. Just after the fall equinox, then we right. would be saying. And this is the story of, of, of St. Jerome who pulls the thorn from the lion's paw. That thorn is uh, synonymous with the, 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 the stations of the cross. When, when Jesus is pulled down from the cross, the nails are removed from the Judah, the king of Judah, the lion of Judah. And uh, Jerome is tempted in the desert. He goes underneath the underworld. He's tempted by virgins. All of these are pointing to the direction of where the Son of God is moving in the houses. So it's moving into Virgo from Leo. And that's the entire story of that saint, Saint Jerome. So this is just part of the codex that we're seeing unwind, not only in the sky clock, but in Literally every religion, including Christianity, there's this underlying syncretism that has these equivalents uh, in the real world. So these things, these ideas aren't necessarily competing. They are synonymous and harmonic, which is what makes them be so powerful in, in our religious structure. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Did you hear what James just said? So many people have been going to Bible studies their whole life. And when we start talking about the sky clock, they shut down as if there's some kind of a competition. What's being pointed out here is the creation. Everything you can see, every luminary above your head, every tree on the ground, everything in between so-called planets, so-called galaxies, whatever you can see is part of the creation. And this syncretism, as James called it, is showing you the power of these religious traditions actually syncing with the creation. And I think that's very important for people to get over because so many people want to chuck the bathwater and the baby out at the same time. And it's a shame, but let's get into Notre Dame. We're in hour one, episode 151. I tell everyone, Hey man, they're, they're dismantling these cathedrals. That was based on the Falconelli work I did where they were smashing St. Christopher statues that were at the opening. When you walked into a cathedral, often there was a St. Christopher with a baby Jesus in his arm. There was too much being told. 
to people. So they smashed them. They removed them. They did all these things. So let's get into it. Do you remember the day of the fire, James? It's April 15th. Okay. Pick up there. Which is, uh, of course, tax day. And tax day is also aligned with that Alima crossing. It is the uh, the day of the head of John the Baptist is, is chopped off. There's a uh, sacrifice basically employed because you are now crossing the ecliptic. You are now in the underworld. You're beginning this other journey. And on that journey, the Notre uh, Dame, the Our Lady, um, had to have her Parthenia uh, broken. Uh, her the, the holy sanctity of this of this building of this site has been encased in this forest of oak, the the top of the cathedral, for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it is opened like a vault on a certain day with with a fire. And the symbolism of that, the ritual of that, is what we're watching unfold. Most UNESCO sites are simply a what I would call a larger church that's just functioning in the in the in the uh, outward public. What what we consider public or government lands is really more sort of like their private ritual space, uh, so to speak. Chessboard. Yes, exactly. Uh, remind people again that Long Island is a ring of water and inside there is a checkerboard of streets. And on that checkerboard was a two-tower ritual with a third building sacrifice in the middle. Paris has the same thing. You've got this circle of water wrapped around uh, these limestone quarries that have been built from the bones of forgotten people. I say forgotten because there's no markers the hundreds of miles of limestone that's been used to actually build that, uh, the, build the Cathedral of Notre Dame came from the catacombs underneath Paris, which are now decorated with the bone organs of, of people that, that are in unmarked graves, basically. It's the exact same sort of uh, belief technology that's amped up. So the fire itself was not just simply placed on that day. Um, that fire was known about not only by Crow, but by the creators of IPEC Goat 2 had in that movie a very clear, obvious spire falling in the exact same way, collapsing into itself. That movie was released exactly 33 days to the day before the Olympic ceremony, which we all know about, which also broadcast the entire uh, Aperture Coronic event or ritual that took place too. So what I see happening is, is that the entire Notre Dame Cathedral is being used as an instrument inside this much larger ritual, and that the Our Lady, uh, the Virgin Mary, loses her, the, the old world is, is Parthenia, I'm ch- trying not to be vulgar, but really symbolically, you're looking at a hymen that's, that's broken in broad daylight when the fire started, and before that fire started, all of the saints, uh, in in lieu of what Crow is talking about, all of the saints that are on the roof at this very center of this cross uh, were airlifted or raptured in broad daylight only after their hu- their heads were cut off <laughs> with an oxygen settling torch in broad daylight. There are very specific rules in the Vatican about how you handle relics and sculptures 
on any of its churches and any of its edifices, any kind of uh, upgrades or any kind of uh, restoration that the uh, the statues are supposed to be covered uh, while they're moved. At no point in time while they're being moved should they be seen. There's a reverence and a ritual that goes into the how these things are happening. And instead, you saw on Sky News uh, helicopters uh, cutting the heads off these all all the saints, grappling hooks going into their innards and pulling them up uh, in in broad daylight. A literal rapture was occurring as you watch these things being removed, completely uh, backwards to all of the protocols that have been set by the Vatican and, and by literally any other museum that would do the same thing. I, this is a, a ritual, and the ritual is so big that most people simply can't see it, and so they just dismiss it all as the cause of the fire is unknown, or, well, that's that's how you preserve a statue. The first thing you do is you cut its head off and there, that's how you protect it. And I, I can make a point about that. Sorry for interrupting, but and remember, everybody remember James Shelby Downard and Michael Hoffman, who we've had on this program. He's done extensive work on the Vatican, and he made the case that they viewed those the statuary as being able to hold an entity of some sort. So I don't know how that plays into what you're saying, but I was not aware they lopped the heads off. It's almost like they're saying this time, these spirits, this thing is about to change. Yes. Yeah. And and the only way that they could change it is they had to break the sanctity of what was there before. And that's why the Our Blessed Virgin is such an important symbol, especially once we start talking about ISIS and about the much larger religion. Keep in mind that word syncretism, that when we talk about an older religion, that that older religion is the same religion that's alive today. It's just that you and I are seeing more of its coat as it's walking across the floor. As we become more conscious of our world, as we uh, break through the placenta of conspiracy theories and just start to see the world more for what it is, a the religion's full coat is being shown to us, and it goes back into astrotheology. It goes all the way back to Petra. I will build a rock upon this church, Peter, Petra, the rock itself. This is an astrotheological, uh, much, much older religion. Remind everyone here that Zoroastrianism is the wearing of masks. It is the preservation of the breath in front of the sacred fire. And you're watching these rituals take place in broad daylight that are truly old, ancient religious rituals, but we as a collective people simply are not entitled to or have exercised enough calories to truly see how these rituals have been laid out in front of us, typically through these UNESCO-type preservation sites. And there's a whole world we could do Lord, hours on the idea of UNESCO, but it occurs to me um, when I think of Notre Dame, in my mind, it's the Lady of the North, but the Virgin idea is there, isn't it? It's almost, and I guess I I don't know all the way, but it it kind of feels like they're raping the Virgin. Like there will be no more Virgin births after this. We're down in this low material sludge, and the Lady of the North is going south. 
in a way. Yes. Yeah, and the, the purity of the North is the sacrifice given to the world in order for mankind to grow. This is the purpose of the virgin. Uh, the whore of Babylon is, in fact, the virgin spoiled. She is gives her Parthenia as man learns. What we see as learning or gnosis is really more just technologi- technologically we advance, we become more comfortable, we're able to just ascertain more. The uh, whore of Babylon in its most ancient ways is the virginity of mystery. And as mystery is mind, as we go through time, the whore of Babylon whores herself out. In exchange, that mystery is sacrificed and man gains gnosis. This is the meaning in Ipet Goat 2. You may remember that there's a scene in which there's an old lady who is uh, uh, in this tower, a phallic tower, and she uh, has lost her, her, her virginity. And uh, she is kind of flapping uh, 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 shirtless in the uh, trapped in this this role. She has given her virginity to man so that man can grow. That's why when we watch the top of Notre Dame break and the the releasing of all that energy, that five hundred, six hundred thousand year old energy released for the very first time, it sees light for the very first time the oak forest that covers it is gone. In that light, everything that happens as a result, including this news release that occurred on the day after <laughs> tax day, that same day uh, this year where they discovered this, this uh, artifact, is all part of this UNESCO rituals that, that are being uncovered. These things are not coincidence, they're, they're part of the ritual of this older, much more profound religion that looks more systemic to us. This is the court system, the black robes, the Saturnalia, the unconscious religion that's so old that it just is just built into our system so much to where most of us don't even notice it. And to make a fine point, this is so precise. It's hard to describe to people who have never considered that they live in a creation and as an example, the 12 saints, what are we looking at? Well, you're looking at the 12 stations of the sun through a year. That's one of the levels of meaning. But that, what is that? That's the creation. It's how our world works. Here's the sun in this month. Guess what? We're going to be really cold now. Here's the sun in this month. Guess what? We're going to be really hot now. Here's the transition. What this is, is tied to the creation, and it is so precisely level, le- leveraged off. Where people get lost is they say, I, do, I see these th- people doing things that I think are dark and I don't like. And so that whole system needs to be thrown away and you are missing the boat, Mm -hmm. literally missing the boat. The people doing these things have chose to leverage in the way they've chose to leverage in. But if we were conscious of what they're leveraging off, it would be a better understanding of the creation, which the creator made every one of us beneficiary of when he gave us the divine spark and free will. At birth, he also made us beneficiary of the creation. What's happened is we've forgotten our birthright. I mean, really forgotten our birthright. These other people, they haven't forgotten. As a matter of fact, they're collecting your birthright because you don't even know it exists, most of us. Even if we were to throw away the system, 
we would simply recreate it again because it would be based on these fundamental principles that are hermetically sealed into reality itself. And one of those is this idea that there is a mystery that has this sanctity to it. And this mystery, this veil is slowly revealed as man learns to be comfortable in the light of truth itself that the light of truth burns so much that it becomes necessary to have this veil when man is born. And so it must slowly apocalypse itself in order for man to not freak out and go nuts, which is what we're tending to do whenever we start to embrace how powerful we are or how symbolically connected the world is. These things terrify man, which is why man's behaving the way that he is right now. There's more, more that we can add here. Um, bigotry is a huge problem for the truther community. And I'll give an example of why, if I can think of one. Okay, here's, here's a good example. I was talking to Fortune the other day, and he asked me, what do I think this place looks like to include what we call space? So I started describing, and he said that's interesting because of the Hebrew word and symbols for firmament means dome. Now think about what was just said there. This launches us on this like hour long conversation of, because he can recognize the characters. He speaks enough languages that that was in a good education commonly taught. So he's referencing and we're talking about it and we're getting the numerical values. And it occurs to me that if I had been taught cursory knowledge about Hebraic characters and these other things, right on the face of it, here's this important information. What we tend to do is the same thing we do with our birthright. Well, I see those people using our birthright badly. I don't even know it's our birthright. So that all sucks. Now it's evil. You got to get away from this. Fear is the best tool that could ever be wielded. You need to clear your mind out. And if you see Someone doing something bad, sure, I don't appreciate that. In my book, that is not true and correct, but that's it. You don't swap that out over everything. And think about what I just told you. And Simple things like in that same conversation, he was reminding me that it's in Genesis, it was mistranslated into English. The very first words say in the beginning. That's not correct. What it actually says is in any beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Or in a beginning. If now one was you, to begin. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Now yeah. you have changed the absolute essence of these opening conversations. But I don't want to pull us too far away um, on, on Easter. And I would make the argument, James, that Easter is actually the biggest day in Christianity um, for the organized church. I think people would argue that Christmas is. But what I know of Easter, uh, nothing compares to what I know about what a big deal Easter has been. So what happens on Easter? Well. At Notre Dame? Yes, at Notre Dame. Okay, so after the fire, three years after the fire, keep in mind that everyone's like, oh, no one knows what caused the fire in the world's most expensive fire prevention system ever. <laughs> and so for three years, people were just randomly just pretending like like none of this happened. And three years later on, on Easter, archaeologists discover historical artifacts during no Notre Dame Cathedral restoration. The spire, the central spire, the thing that fell that, that you saw an IPAC goat to fall also, when it fell, uh, the place where it landed 
on the ground, struck open a hole in the floor, and lo and behold, inside that hole, it revealed a sarcophagus made out of lead, human-shaped sarcophagus. And in order to understand the, the ritual symbolism of this, I need to tell you about Osiris. And this is why we preface this with telling you the syncretism is the fact that all these religions are the same. They're not different. They're the same. So everybody listen up to what he's about to say. Everyone's seen the Masonic Bibles with all the Egyptian stuff. Well, he's about to lay down why it matters and the connection. The creation works in the way it works. Nobody's going to invent a new way for the creation to work. So go ahead, James. Right. So built into to, uh, Egyptian thought, um, I won't even call it religion, into thought is a trinity also. There's another trinity there too. It's not trying to circumvent or say it's the most important trinity. It's just another trinity too. And part of that trinity is the story of Osiris, Isis, and Horus. Osiris, a very, very powerful being, uh, was either tricked or volunteered to enter into a coffin. In this coffin, the coffin was supposedly a gift to him, set tricked Osiris and drowned him and chopped his body up into multiple pieces. Those body parts were spread all over the world. Isis collected those pieces and brought them together and reunited the body of Osiris, except for she was missing one part. That part was the phallus of Osiris. She constructed a golden phallus, placed it on Osiris, climbed on top of Osiris, and had an immaculate conception, which brought about the birth of Horus. Horus would later avenge Osiris, and the cycle continues and continues. Amen is an Egyptian term. Set itself is is the the preeminence to Shaitan. These are the the same stories exercising themselves over and over. Think sunset, everybody. There's a reason we have these words. Go ahead, Jim. Yes. And of course, the Westing to even a cult to go below the horizon is to simply west, to go into the underworld and still move and be predictable as you're down there. This idea of finding Osiris and erecting him is the principle behind every obelisk that you've ever seen, including the 13 obelisks that were moved to Rome. These needles of Cleopatra, there's three that that we all know very famously in London and New York and in, in the Vatican. There's also another big one in Paris. These obelisks, were all erected at one time using the ritual of Osiris. By the way, those were moved with 1800s technology. Yes. It was that important to them. And some, so many people died just trying to even move these things. It's insane how much, how much blood weird sacrifice. Shit. I'm yeah. sure you know yeah. that didn't go to waste, did it? A lot of that, a lot of the magic that was happening were coming from these things. Keep in mind that that in the the city of Un, the uh, the pyramids aren't mentioned in the Bible, but the city of Un is. It's a city only 19 miles north of the pyramids, and it was a Heliopolis is how we know of it now. And these obelisks were erected and coated in electrum. The electrum uh, pyramidian, the, the top of these obelisks, would be struck with such veracity by the morning light 
that the obelisk was said to vibrate, to emanate light itself. Electrum, are you referring to a metal that we supposedly can't make anymore where they're joining silver and gold? Yes. Typically called Electra? That's right. Yes. And and there's all kinds of arguments about how that was actually made, how they actually did it, but we we don't actually know except for that they definitely were were coated with this sort of uh, thing. These erection ceremonies um, were seen as as a, an omen for the king. The the new king, the Horus, uh, is born in the house of Regulus. We've discussed this before in previous Crow episodes. Break it down real quick. Regulus is the chest plate between the Sphinx that has a stone that actually declares who the new king is. When you go into the chamber of the Sphinx, what you're really doing is you're going up into the sky, into the Leo constellation, and you were watching the three kings. Some people like to say that Orion's belts the three kings. I'm not here to say you're wrong. I'm just here to just give a different idea that I believe that actually what these three kings were, were the luminaries. Because if you follow them on the ecliptic, they either will enter the chest of Regulus or they will just miss the chest of Regulus. And that there are certain years where all three kings enter the chest of Regulus and a newborn king is met. One of those years was 3 BC, by the way. One of those years is the year where we, we say Christ was born. The three magi would not travel all the way to from the east simply because Orion did what it does every year, which is it, it rises and it falls, it rises and it falls. There was something special about that year. And that year was the three primary luminaries entered into the chest of Regulus and, and released the newborn king. This is why we have Christianity. It's such a beautiful tie-in to the oldest, oldest religions that go all the way back to Petra and even more, by the way. So this is a resonance. It's not a dispute. It's not a war. It's not a battle. Mithras is the exact same spirit of this sky clock enacting itself on the world. These rituals are so big and so old that churches, ley lines, governments, financial institutions simply incorporate them into their basic structure. The Vatican, the giant keyhole where where the tallest obelisk from Egypt stands right now is surrounded with what we think are saints on the top of this of this building that that looked down and I think that you're looking more at this syncretistic uh, animized sky clock that needed to incorporate itself into people so that the uh, common man would be able to tangibly sink its teeth into these ideas and carry them forward and slowly understand them more as we grow. And that's what we're doing now. So let me try to catch up a little bit in terms of, of the statues at St. Peter's. Uh, one of them is supposed to be a saint, but he's clearly was once Hercules. He's holding the Cleonian lion skin in the club. We covered this way back, but to get back to the point, this is why it's important to know something of the sky clock. When he's talking about Regulus, it's one of the brighter stars in the sky. It is a gorgeous kind of crystalline white blue 
star, and it represents the heart of the lion. This is how you get back to comprehending something about the creation. Go out on a night, recognize there's not that many bright stars. Just pick three and go learn their names and remember their colors and comprehend what constellation they're in. That's where it all starts. To get back, though, when you trajectoried off to talk about Osiris to catch people up, what was in the coffin? What was the lead coffin that they found on Easter Day in the burned Lady of the North, Notre Dame? The coffin that they found, and, and they, they word this very, very specially. It says, archaeologists were permitted to evacuate a small area of the exposed flooring in preparation for scaffolding that needed to be constructed in order to restore the church's largest spire which collapsed during the blaze. And I'd like you to see that the church's largest spire is the obelisk. It is the modern day rising of the obelisk. And in their quest to raise this obelisk, they accidentally found the coffin, <laughs> the leg coffin of Osiris underneath the very floor that's necessary to raise that up. They will not, they have not exposed the coffin yet to the ritual where where we see or hear or it is named who they want to be named in the ceremony. They're purposely making you wait for that. They've given you clues. They've said, whatever's inside is very fresh, they've said. We've pulled boxwood uh, samples and other uh, preservation embalming, <laughs> other preservation and other embalming herbs have been found inside as well as, as hair that is uh, in very good condition is what it says. Yeah, clearly it's a mummy, but I have something I can add to this if you want to hear it. Please. So there's a program, I think it used to be on Netflix. I doubt if it is anymore. It's called Borgia, which is the name of a pope, the one we call Alexander. This is not the series with Jeremy Iron starring. The one I am referring to, which has a lot to say about the papacy, is uh, all European stars or cast members that you're probably not familiar with. I think it's roughly 12 or 13 episodes. In that, Borgia, who is often remembered as one of the most evil popes, when he comes to die, he is so evil, they put him in three coffins. Uh, two very special, because you said boxwood, and I can't remember what it was, two very special types of wood in the outer coffin and then sealed in a lead coffin because the idea is whatever what that evil brother was carrying was so evil, no <laughs> one wanted it out. But anyhow, it's just kind of ironic um, that that this whole lead coffin things, and they've already echoed it. And by the way, they had... I, if I'm not mistaken, they had access to a lot of the places they wanted to shoot. I don't re recommend a lot of things, but it really does tell quite a bit about the papacy. If you have eyes to see with in the time of Pope Alexander or Borgia, who, by the way, was Spanish and, by the way, I believe was Jewish, too. Well, that that ritual, the systemic ritual of that is the same ritual that you see in the courts what i mean is, is it's just it's so just built into society now that it becomes impossible for even the people inside the religion itself to make any changes or even modestly push that boat it's such an ancient <laughs> an ancient uh system that's been set about that that's why that's why they know exactly what's in the sarcophagus but they're not going to tell you yet because it's not part of the ceremony yet 
Maybe they're waiting for the right Freemasons to be free to do it. Yeah, well, it's, I think that, that part of these, because there's not, in my opinion, there's not like a, a central clean form of control for these things. So what you have is people that are starting rituals and other people try and prevent them. 9-11 is a good example. There was uh, two attempts to thwart the 9-11 ritual by either blowing up the building or burning it beforehand. <laughs> and I think you're looking at basically just other high magicians that are competing with each other over ritual spots. Like it's like, uh, uh, it's really vulnerable to have Notre Dame still intact, still waiting, knowing that there's going to be a ritual soon and someone would want to come in at the last minute and basically swoop it up and steal the symbolism of this to steal the public witness as to how they might uh, participate or, or, or con- construe these things. Um, it, kind of a nuanced point, but I hope this kind of sinks at home. I, I want people to know that, that this high magic is not, they've abandoned the idea where they only have one, central ritual because something can happen another unesco site in teotihuacan they're just now releasing like it when i say just now i mean like seven or eight years but they still haven't finished releasing the information but underneath the quetzalcoatl pyramid or, or mound really this horned serpent that's in all these different stories they found this river of mercury and the reason why I'm bringing this up now is because I want people to know that the river Mercury is the first sign ever that Teotihuacan might've had a King before this discovery. They've said, well, what's weird about this place is it doesn't seem to have had a King. This is UNESCO saying we have found the new world King. We have, we've found these, uh, the new Osiris. And so you're seeing a lot of destruction of the older uh, uh, ritual sites, and they're all pointing to the preparation for, in fact, the gap for so many uh, of our heroes. Look at all the statues that have been torn down just like every week. They're creating the vacuum to vault or install the next obelisk, the next hierophant, basically, for everyone else to point their witness at and say, here's my power, here's my power, please. Tell me what to do. So all of these rituals um, are usually bent on uh, uniting the new king. Uh, Regulus uh, speaks for the state. So too would a lead sarcophagus coffin underneath this floor that was only found because of this miraculous fire would birth this new idea. So they're, they're using symbology in its most professional way, if that makes sense. They're putting the torque inside the technology of belief that causes people to shift their thinking to align with whatever the ritual wants you to align with. There's so many examples. Take, I think it's MGM that has the lion roaring. Uh, you're looking at a lion who you know, in real life, that lion that played himself in every movie was called Leo. That was his name. Back in the day, we can surmise that probably the height of the power of the sun from this magical period of time where so much this came from, maybe the Egyptian time, maybe the temple, the Israelite temple that stood for 30 years there, that Leo, the lion would in the sky, the constellation, the zodiacal sign would have been during the height of the power of the sun in the summer. These things all tied together. By the way, go look at Leo. 
he, if you look, there's a zodiacal wheel around him with some Latin letters, and he even turns his head to, to roar towards the, where Leo is now, just off center a little bit uh, in, in the current sky clock. This goes on and on and on, but it's because we all forgot everything. Uh, we don't have culture anymore. Culture typically carries these things forward. Well, my grandfather told my father who told me this was what was important. You know what we do now? We watch some movies and we like some TV programs. That's American culture. What we're looking at is people who never lost that culture. And by the way, that is one of the big things about Judaism. There's a group of people who have struggled mightily to hold on to what was passed forward to them. I'm just saying it's a big deal to get back to these things and have a wider comprehension to the point, go do a search for an analemma. As a matter of fact, go look at all the old globes that used to have an analemma built right into them along with the path of the sun, along with the tropics, but start to recognize more about your creation. Uh, What James is laying down here is hard to absorb for anyone when it's delivered in a vacuum, you have to have a basis, but Was there more you were going to add about the lead coffin? Building up to the lead coffin, I think it's important to understand that there are clues in the fire itself that are giving you an idea about about what might be inside the coffin. And on top of the roof of Notre Dame is the tetramorph. This is uh, goes all the way back to Samaria. The tetramorph is this blending of four different animals. Uh, There's the the ox. There's the eagle. There's the lion, and there's the man. Tell them why, so people know why. This is the original uh, cross of the sky. It's not a competition. I'm just saying it's the original sky cross. It's the four corners of the earth itself. And constellations and cardinal stars. Yes, the zodiac, all of it is showing you this. And I, I would like for you to start to think about a primitive spiritual slate inside man. And the very first thing you want them to understand is how this analemic force works and how seasons are affected by it, how it gets cold, how it gets warm, when it's time to plant, when the, keep in mind, Virgo is, she's holding wheat, like exactly the time when you're supposed to plant wheat. Like, like it's just, there it is. And she's a virgin and the star's name is Spica. Yes. Look up what that means. In modern day, she's holding corn sometimes, but go ahead. So in the primordial man, when man starts to understand, oh, there's a sky clock. Oh, this is interesting. There's a zodiac that requires patience, requires consciousness to even start to map these things out. Now you're tracking moons. You're writing down the number of days that pass. This is the birth of rational man. This is the birth of man seeking gnosis, isn't it? The sky clock is the very first lantern showing you the way into this, what we call Christianity today. Let's frame it up for a second. So let's say someone gave you a castle to live in. And for as many generations as you can remember, everyone's lived on the ground floor and never explored any of the other rooms or what's up in the spires or anything. They don't know anything about the place they live. That's kind of what we're talking about, right, James? Yes. And if you did not have something like a tetramorph, if you had no kind of analema or any kind of inkling to a sky clock itself, you might spend thousands and thousands of years 
circumcising people, uh, creating raids, war parties, getting mad at your neighbor because it didn't rain right. This sky clock is the first tone or drum playing you into this world of gnosis where you begin to simulate and predict what's happening in your world because you were conscious of the sky clock that's moving around you. Let's put this into frame. So you're in a river, you're going down, um, you know nothing about the river. You're at the whim of the river. People who know something about the river know there's a waterfall at a certain place. They know to get out of the water and go around. People who know something about the river know there's rapids, but they're not bad. We can stay in the water. People who know something, there's these terrible rapids and there's these other things we got to do to survive it. That's the difference. Knowing something about what's propelling you through this existence or just being like a log in a river that gets tossed any which way, which is most of us now. Yes. The trivium and the quadrivium are are the essence of this syncretistic religion that's that's much larger than you think it is. And at the base of the spire that burnt and was crashed is the tetramorph expressed in statues. These four creatures, the ox, the eagle, the lion, and the man, burned in the fire. They I mean, I'm sorry, they, they were pulled before the fire. They were airlifted out, and this was the base of the spire. Built on top of these animals, the tetramorph, were saints. There were three saints on every corner. So that's 12 saints total that were airlifted. Every one of them had their head removed. Every one of them had their head, oxygen settling, burnt off. And at the base of, of where they stood was one of these animals of the tetramorph. So the symbolism of the rising, the evolution of man from animal to saint is this same sort of calling that the sky clock gives you, which is the hearkening to gnosis. This is the G sharp. I mean, the the F sharp, the the bells of Notre Dame typically ring in F sharp. Some some bells have a different tone, but the, the structure of this cathedral is sending that sine wave, which, by the way, is the exact path that the sun moves. As it, as it rises up and falls, it goes underwater, it, it raises up out of the water. This is the original story of Jonah and the whale, is that the, the son of God uh, goes into the water signs of the zodiac and goes into the, the zodiac constellation of the whale itself. So the entire path of the analema is tracked saint by saint, story by story, so that you know when the virgin is holding the wheat, it's time to plant the crops. This is the exact same way an old man with arthritis was told that in order for him to not feel the pain from his back, he needs to stroke the head of this horse that's been carved into a cane. The doctor knows that if the man uses his cane, he will not have the same pressure on his spine. The patient knows I must invoke the stroking of the horse in order to alleviate the pain in my spine. Both people are advocating for the same action, but that action has profoundly different meanings based on whether you're the doctor the patient. Very similar kind of symbolism here in, in what we're watching transpire with, with Notre Dame. All right, let's tie it up a little bit. This four-phase animal that he's been talking about, let's break it down, James. You got the bull. Is everyone catching on that that's the constellation Taurus? 
it's been a long time. I'm going to do my best for the star. I think it's Aldebaran, which would be the eye of the bull, which is a a malefic star in most reckonings because it's kind of a burning orangey red. So then we go over to the lion. Of course, that's Leo. The big star there is the one we've been talking about, Regulus, the heart of the lion. The man is, wait for it, Aquarius. And I'm going to get, is it formal halt? No, what's, what's the, do you know the star in Aquarius? Is it formal halt? I don't know. I think it might be formal halt. I could be wrong, but the last one is the eagle. Now here's the thing where it gets a little difficult for people right above the Scorpio. There is an eagle, but the way that I have reckoned it is that Scorpio is the genitalia on the human body. When you get above your base animal instincts, you can transmorph that animal passion into something higher. That's the idea. Instead of putting the scorpion, um, it was the lofty eagle. Some people want to say it's because the eagle is right above the scorpion. It doesn't matter. I'm making the point. And the heart of the scorpion is, I think it's Antares. I apologize if I'm getting these wrong. It's been so long since I've had time to to be paying attention. And that too is um, is, uh, a, a... kind of orangey, reddish, yellowy kind of star. These are the things that people should know because when you see these stars, you know the constellation it's in. You know what else you know? You know it's that time of year if you're like eight or nine or 10, you know, a reasonable time when most people are up. These are summer constellations, winter constellations. You begin to know something about the creation. Um, And I see you hit me, Rose, but that's not the right one. I think it's formal halt. It wouldn't be Beta Aquarii. Um, anyhow, James, we're at about 50 minutes. Do you want to close up with an idea and let people know where they can find you? I want to remind everybody that the origin story of Rome itself is basically uh, there's this dog star and it's barking, it's drinking from the nipples of the twins, and that's Gemini. <laughs> and just south of Gemini is the dog star pointing up at it. So the entire story of Romulus itself is built off the sky clock. So even our ancient history, it has been so systemically saturated with this information, with this gnosis, that it's just, it's just built in to what we even call facts right now. <laughs> this, most of the saints that we think that we know of, I can tell you, point to these really profound uh, parts of the sky. And the story that each saint uh, endures is just giving you this inclination of where you are in the sky as you're traveling. Um, I, I run a, a show that that we've done more about this. The Astro Theology of, of Christ is one of many episodes that touch on this. If you guys want to uh, follow along more as we discuss stuff like that, you're welcome to uh, to find me on the web or, or on my website. I've written uh, five five books now. My latest is Best best Apocalypse Ever, which is basically just uh, uh, showing you behind the veil that not only what is happening to us uh, is profound, but even more importantly, it's necessary for this Aquarian leap that's happening in your life right now. As you're, as you're ascertaining and seeing through this placenta of conspiracy theories, it's because of this new aperture that's been dialed into this fifth sun that's been born. And that's the best apocalypse ever that we're having right now. That's, I guess I'll say it. That's it for now for the right. Do you, do you have a login for crow triple seven radio? Of course. Yes. Okay. If you don't just email me, I'm hoping you'll put the links to your work, uh, right in comments. The day we go live, I'm going to try to frame this up before we run out of time. 
look up an analemma, know some of the things we've been talking about, go to uh, look up the four royal stars. And as a matter of fact, do an image search for the four royal stars. This is what we've been talking about. They're also attributable as archangels. Now, let me get back to one of the older descriptions as we close up here. From here to the moon is the realm of angels. From the moon to what we call Venus is the realm of archangels. Beyond that to Mercury, what we call Mercury is the archive. Then you go to the powers of the sun. So that little bit of sky clock that I've described If you look at the four royal stars, Aldebaran in the ox or Taurus represents the archangel Michael. Regulus, the heart of the lion, and Leo, the constellation, represents the archangel Raphael. Antares, the heart of the scorpion, represents the archangel Uriel. Formal halt, which I actually got right because I wanted to look it up, or formal hot, um, is Gabriel, the archangel Gabriel. These are big deals. Is an archangel seem like it's more lofty to you than just some regular angel? And why was that? What does it mean? You're looking at leveraging on how this creation works. And if you look up an image of the royal stars, you will see the cross in the sky made by these very stars. These are things that everyone should have been taught about in like sixth grade, because there is so much to know they would have spent the rest of their life filling in all the gaps. Anyhow, Jason, I know you're not feeling the hottest. Anything you want to get in before I wrap up hour one? Is there any significance to the date when they're going to reopen Notre Dame, even though they're saying it's going to take 15 to 20 years to do the full restoration? It's lined up with the Olympics, which I, I think will be an interesting ceremony. But that's the only thing that bell that goes off in my head right now. Right. And they love to do their little rituals at these big events. The rings, right? Those seven rings, each a different color. The seven seals, the chakras, the consciousness itself being in different aspects of those, the Sephiroth basically of thought itself. Yeah, it's profound. We only see this as we each individually become more conscious. We start to see, go, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) Isn't it five rings? Am I wrong? I'm sorry, five rings. Yeah, yeah. Five and seven is actually synonymous a lot of times, but yeah, thank you for correcting me. All right, I'm going to wrap up episode 414. For everybody, when you're on the website, if you want to find somebody, just mouse over the full episodes link up top, then click find show. The search on the left part of the search lets you do numbers and words. On the right, the guest name. And again, I'm working to get that better. James True has appeared in the past. Episode 395, 355, 230, 207, and 194. But that is it for hour one of 414. We're going to come back in hour two and unpack a whole bunch more. And most of the basis of what we've been talking about in my mind is what we should have learned before we were even that old. We should have had an idea of these things in our life because, you know, these people are operating above triple PhD level, basically. We got a lot of catching up to do, but there it is. Hour one of episode 414. I'd like to see you all over at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com for hour two. And I'd like to wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing.